Hi, I'm Jeffrey Rickman, and this is a mini-series on my channel, Plain Spoken, in which I'm talking about the resolutions adopted by the South Central Jurisdictional Conference of the United Methodist Church. I've uh, covered the first two. This is the third and final installment in this mini-series. Um, in the first one, I lay out a lot of the groundwork for what jurisdictional conferences are and how they work. Uh, second one, I, I mostly reinforced that, spent a little bit more time on the resolution. This one is... is uh, Probably, I don't know, uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> but um, uh, I would uh, just remind you, if you haven't gone and seen the first two, it's probably worth going back and watching them or listening to them if you're on the podcast. Um, the first one dealt with uh, integrity was in the title, Integrity and Leadership, I think it was, and it talked about how conservatives that haven't disaffiliated yet, but plan to should go ahead and check out of the conversation in the denomination before they are actually excused from the covenant community. Um, and I talked about what's good and bad about that. Uh, the second one, which I covered yesterday, dealt with uh, uh, the racial component, uh, liberal approach to, to racial and cultural differences within the United Methodist Church and what there is to be done about that, uh, the role of the connectional table and the Christmas covenant this last one that was adopted uh, a couple weeks ago at our, our jurisdictional conference deals with the LGBTQQIA plus community. Uh, it's called Queer Delegates Call to Center Justice and Empowerment for LGBTQIA plus people in the United Methodist Church. So uh, I'll read over the text of the resolution, and then I'll go and uh, affirm what I can about it, and then... Um, I, I think it's mostly going to be explainer. I think most people who read this stuff don't understand the theory behind it, the the presuppositions, the liberal presuppositions behind it. I think most people don't appreciate just how ideologically informed this is by things outside of the Bible. Um, and so I, I, I'd like to spend some time kind of explaining that. So let's we read the actual uh, resolution first, and then uh, we'll talk about it. So uh, I already named the uh, said the name, the title of it, and this is the text. Whereas in a groundswell response to the passage of harmful legislation at the 2019 special session of General Conference, annual conferences elected queer clergy and laypersons to be general and jurisdictional delegates in record numbers, for the first time empowering queer delegates to speak and act from our diverse experiences and... Whereas the 2019 special session of the United Methodist General Conference passed the traditional plan, which increased penalties for the United Me for United Methodist clergy who are LGBTQIA+, and for clergy who support the LGBTQIA+, community through officiating their weddings, and whereas in an attempt to address the divide within the United Methodist Church, an abance or moratorium was proposed to the General Conference, referenced below by the authors of the Protocol of Reconciliation and Grace Through Separation, and, whereas we understand our call and responsibility as United Methodists to do good, do no harm, and stay in love with God, and, whereas we call straight and cisgender allies to do good by using their voice and vote vote to support, empower, and amplify the voices of the LGBTQIA plus community in the United Methodist Church. 
Therefore, be it resolved that the 2022 South Central Jurisdictional Conference of the United Methodist Church, one, supports and amplifies the queer delegates' call to justice and empowerment for the LGBTQIA community in our jurisdiction within and beyond our churches and agencies. Two, affirms the spirit of the abeyance or moratorium as proposed to the General Conference as referenced above until the changes can be made in the United Methodist Book of Discipline. Three, implores our annual conferences to either not pursue or resolve in an appropriately timely fashion through a non-punitive just resolution process any complaints against clergy regarding their sexual orientation or clergy who officiate weddings of LGBTQIA plus persons. Four, urges that as a jurisdiction we either not pursue or resolve in an appropriately timely fashion through a non-punitive just resolution process any complaints against bishops regarding their sexual orientation or those who officiate weddings of LGBTQIA persons. Five, supports the election of Episcopal leaders who commit to upholding this resolution and who will further justice for the empowerment of LGBTQIA plus people in the annual conferences where they serve. And six, commits to a future of the United Methodist Church where LGBTQIA plus people will be protected, affirmed, and empowered in the life and ministry of the church in our jurisdiction, including as laity, ordained clergy, in the episcopacy, in episcopacy and on boards and agencies. And then this was submitted by the following queer delegates from the South Central Jurisdiction, and it had signatures of, uh, of all the, the self-identifying queer representatives in different jurisdictions. Let's see how many of them from are Western. Um, and these are just the ones that are that are open, and that's that's quite a few when you look at how many representatives there are uh, in the jurisdictional conferences in America. So um, before I, I lift up what's um, problematic about this resolution, I do want to affirm just a couple things. I want to affirm uh, that their historical recollection of widespread re rebellion against the resolutions or uh, uh, traditional plan of the general conference is accurate. Um, they they talk about it in a way where it doesn't sound bad, but um, I, I just think it's bad. But they acknowledge fully that 2019 General Conference was very clear and where the denomination stood, and then throughout American annual conferences, there was rebellion against that in a number of ways, especially by intentionally electing self-identifying. Um, here in this document, they say at the bottom... Uh, that they identify as queer. They, they think that's, as delegates, we chose to describe ourselves using the umbrella term queer, but refer to the broader community of persons within the LGBTQIA plus acronym. So uh, I, I'm just going to say queer, and um, queer is one of those words that started as a pejorative, like the word Methodist, and then uh, those parties to whom it uh, belonged, uh, adopted it as their own. So in seminary, I had to read a, a book called Querying Evangelism by a, a lady named Sherry DeNovo, in which because um, uh, LGBTQIA plus persons had historically been marginalized and Jesus is perpetually on the side of the marginalized, Jesus himself was queer, and that the Christian faith is a queer faith. Uh, 
Uh, we recently, in my annual conference uh, at, at one of the schools that we fund, had a chapel service in which prayer was offered to the queer God. So this is, this is something that is, has been around for a while, and there's been an increasing culture around it. So I, 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 I talked about how their historical recollection of rebellion is accurate, and I wouldn't argue with that. The only other thing that I would re- uh, affirm about this, um, near the bottom, point six, it says, commits to a future of the UMC where queer people will be protected. I think it's absolutely essential to protect all persons because all people, including sexually nonconforming persons, which is, I, I think, everybody, when you dig deeply enough in anybody, there are ways in which we sexually are not in alignment with the scriptural standard. Um, all of us are made in the fallen image of God, and and no one is beyond redemption by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think we have to be clear about that. Uh, the, the people to whom this speaks are equally made in God's fallen image uh, as, as all humans and in need of uh, wholeness and, and ministry. So let's talk about uh, some of the things that, that I find problematic about this resolution, and obviously I think you should too. The first one is the notion of integrity. The very first resolution adopted dealt with integrity. Its argument was that if uh, there are people or churches planning on disaffiliating from our covenant community, then they should go ahead and not exercise any influence or authority within our covenant community. I think the, the notion of integrity is, is that a person or an organization stands by its principle stands by what it has decided collectively. So I find it strange that we are lauding and, and singing the praises of people and movements that I would say have no integrity. Whenever we've had a series of general conferences, including and especially the 2019 General Conference, which said, uh, this is our sexual ethic. This is how we're going to look at identity. This is how we're going to deal with persons who are sexually nonconforming, to then have a very loud, a very rich, a very privileged uh, class of people within the denomination who proudly disobey, uh, work against, rebel against uh, these things, I would say that that is the opposite of integrity. I think by any reasonable understanding of integrity, we're dealing with people who are speaking about integrity but have none. If they had integrity, they would either conform to the standard that we collectively agreed upon, or they would leave. And that's what the 2019 General Conference uh, assumed, presumed, hoped, was that the people who disagreed would have integrity to leave, and then we would provide these circumstances whereby they could. There was not an appreciation for how extreme this ideology is, where people would insist on staying despite uh, long-standing um, um, uh, status uh, stance from the denomination, they're not leaving. And they compare themselves to the civil rights movement in the 1960s. The, the, the point on which this differs from civil rights is civil rights took place in a non-voluntary organization, the, the United States of America. You can't decide whether or not you are an American whenever you're in the contiguous U.S. states. You can decide if you're a United Methodist, it's as simple as quitting, leaving, transferring. These, these, uh, the liberal contingent within the United Methodist Church 
was not trapped. They don't have to stay. They chose to stay and disrupt until they got their way, and they succeeded. But to to imagine that this in any way fits with the notion of integrity, I, I think, is um, false. Next thing is the topic of uh, free speech. Now, when you are a, a good classical liberal like me, you know that the history of free speech is that it benefits minorities, people who don't have power, and that any time speech is controlled, it actually has a deleterious effect on the culture of those who, who are controlled. Compelled speech is a problem. Uh, silenced speech is a problem. Um, the very outset of this resolution is that there was a harmful legislation at the 2019 special session of the General Conference. To, to insinuate harm is to make the argument that words cause harm. And that is something that I think we have to, at least as Westerners, well, and I think as Christians, I think we have to be very clear. Words don't cause harm. Actions cause harm. We are, we are dealing with... Uh, uh, a society right now that is particularly coddled and fragile. And when I use the word coddled, I mean that in line of Jonathan Haidt's The Coddling of the American Mind, in which there are noticeable, quantifiable differences between younger people that are being formed with our current cultural ethos and people from previous generations that were not as fragile. We as a society have chosen to acknowledge language as causing harm, and that has resulted in a, a group of people that cannot stand to hear things that make them uncomfortable. They're increasingly fragile and dysfunctional because they cannot operate whenever everybody does not conform to their own ideology. <clears throat> and so that's what we've seen here is the General Conference adopted language that was chosen to be perceived as harmful. And so because individuals subjectively interpreted it that way, they have painted it as a harmful brush, and that's why when we have one of our—the first general rule, rule of the United Methodist Societies is do no harm, then it's a uniquely Methodist thing to resist that harm. You see how they do that? So I would disagree with the way that this is pitched, that the language was harmful. I don't believe that words cause harm, and I think we have to be very clear about that. The next thing is, uh, and I'm, I'm going to use some terminology here that a lot of people are either unfamiliar with, or if you are familiar with it, uh, you're not comfortable with it. The, 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 the terminology is cultural Marxism. And uh, I grew up kind of scoffing at, at people who were concerned about Marxism. Uh, I, 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 I did not know that it was ever a threat to the American social fabric, much less the global um, balance of power. As I've grown older and, and read history and I've looked at what's happening in our institutions, I subscribe to the notion that there is a concerted effort on the part of uh, what have been termed cultural Marxists uh, to upend Western culture, capitalism, and any notion of uh, traditional ethics within the church or any institution. If you don't know about what cultural, where cultural Marxism, Marxism started as a, uh, an effort to uh, end capitalism, create socialism and eventually communism across the world. And historically, it has a terrible track record. The, the hope was that, that, that Marxists had was that uh, America would go through a Marxist resolution as well. But the simple rich versus poor, proletariat versus uh, bourgeoisie 
thing, it never took off. It, it never took hold. Social mobility in the United States just made it not appealing. So in the 1960s, there was a group of, of male academics from Germany that came over. We call them the Frankfurt School. The, the three biggest thinkers that I'm aware of are Adorno, Marcuse, and Horkheimer. Uh, and the three of them sought to uh, uh, create a whole series of dichotomies of uh, oppressor and oppressed. So uh, you, you have not just uh, class, but you have race, you have sex, sexual uh, orientation. And that's what started in the 1960s and has taken off. And so that's where you get um, all, all the culture war stuff. It came from the 1960s, these guys who started... Um, pitting groups in society against one another. So, for instance, uh, the one that this one in particular is concerned with is the LGBTQIA plus community versus the cis, cisgender, heterosexual, gender normative conforming community. There's, there's the normies, and then there's the queers, and they, they don't like each other, and they're warring. And the job of the people up here, it says, is to... Um, become allies. We, so you see in this section right here, we call straight and cisgender allies to do good by using their voice and vote to support, empower, and amplify the voices of the LGBTQIA plus community in the United Methodist Church. So there's, you see, I, I put that all in red because from start to finish, it's, it's so problematic. The, the problem is that humans are not primarily members of groups. We are individuals. That's that's what the Bible, I believe, affirms. That's what the Western liberal project argues. Uh, as soon as you start grouping people together and pitting them against one another, you are, uh, well, as I talked about in, in yesterday's resolution too, you are separating them, segregating them into different groups that, that are not going to get along. They're going to be at odds. And so whenever we use this, this language of oppressor and oppressed, it's your job as an ally to make room for this other group that we're going to pretend is monolithic. If you've ever known any gay people, uh, LGBTQIA plus community, there is no such thing. They, they do not stand together in any coherent sense. The only way in which they stand together is in a social Marxist, in a uh, cultural Marxist sense, against the normal traditional order. So what you, you may or not realize as you look at this document is one of the undergirding ideologies is based on an ideological hatred of conservatism and traditionalism. It's a fundamental rejection of the notion that um, we can all as equal individuals come together and sublimate ourselves under the lordship of Christ Jesus, denying ourselves, refusing to partake in sin. Rather, we have this, this, this alternative vision, which is uh, this kind of like essentialism, where uh, these are the behaviors that I'm inclined towards, these are the feelings that I have, and so my identity is not in Christ, it's in these uh, particular desires and actions that I want to per participate in. So identity is the next uh, ideological area where we have to acknowledge, we have to see that this, this document is very much informed by a view of identity that is not that is new and foreign to uh, where the denomination. Well, the majority of the denomination doesn't see identity in this way. The majority of people in the United States and the denomination 
do not see individuals as representatives of people groups. They see individuals as equal image bearers of God in need of salvation. That's that's the traditional conservative and, uh, to some degree, classical liberal understanding of humans. Classical liberalism, of course, has a higher view of humanity, where uh, maybe it's not as dire that we need to be saved. But classical Christianity, uh, that's the understanding of, of human nature. It's only very recently in far-left liberal societies where we've chosen to see humans not as fallen, but as essentially born exactly who we are, and our identity matches our feelings. So you see that in the transsexual phenomenon today, where if you feel like a woman, you are one. It doesn't matter what you are anatomically. If you feel like a gay person, then that's what you are, that's what you've always been, that's what you always will be. Never mind longitudinal studies on sexual desires and how people's sexual desires are not only conditioned by the society they live in, but they change over time. These are things that we know, that we pretend that we don't know, that we don't see, so that we can participate in this battle against old-school, traditional, conservative understandings of, of not just sexuality, but humanity. So uh, the last thing that I would uh, lift up, you know, we, we go through this, uh, I, you know, it's all in red, the, the six things that um, they want to do, except for protecting. I, I, I stand firm on point six, we have to protect everybody. Everybody needs to be protected. But you'll see that in point six, it goes from green to red when we get to affirmed and empowered. And I just think on a basic theological level, we need to remind ourselves it is not the job of the church to affirm people. I'm going to take a pause right there because I think (laughs) I've been talking a lot. But the thing is, affirmation is one of our culture's values. It is not a value of the church. When you want to feel affirmed, you should not come to Jesus because Jesus will uh, convict you of sin. <laughs> you know, Christian faith is not for people to be affirmed. It's for people to be convicted, corrected, rebuked, and then built up. But it is not uh, for you to come in and feel affirmed as you are. That is not the Christian faith. That is, that is the Oprah Winfrey faith. That is, that is prosperity gospel faith. That is not historic Christianity. And whether we're talking about your sexual orientation, your socioeconomic status, your, uh, 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 there is nothing about you other than the image of God that has fallen in you that can be affirmed when you come into the church. And so Jesus is very clear. He who would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And the purpose of the church is to help us to deny ourselves and to to walk in the image of Christ. Not in the image of me, but in the image of Christ. The old me has to die. I have to be born again. I'm using very old school language that still applies because human nature is the same yesterday, today, and forever until Christ comes again in glory. So I, these are, I didn't talk about the specifics. I didn't go through all the specific things of the resolution. I talked about the ideology undergirding it. And I find the ideology anemic. I think it's full of things that, that sound nice and have a degree of truthiness to it, but do not cohere with not just a classical Christian understanding of the world and of Christians, but it doesn't cohere with social science. It doesn't cohere with what we're seeing on the ground. In order to, to run with this, you have to not trust your lying eyes. And I, I think that that is a disingenuous way to be in covenant. 
uh, with people. As as n- I don't think it's just conservatives. I think if you are not a far left liberal progressive, then I I don't think that this resolution is good for our. I, I think just black and white. If you're going to have a voluntary organization. You have to decide. You have your method of deciding who you are, what you stand for. We have our method. The General Conference, 2019, we said once and for all, we're going to figure this out. We figured it out. We did. And then this contingency just said, nope, you didn't make the right decision, so we're going to keep going. I think that that is a very hateful way to be in covenant with people. In fact, I would I would say that that's grounds for declaring that the covenant doesn't mean anything to these people. Because there is no deference to others. There's just willfulness. I feel strongly, and therefore I must be right. God is on my side. I know they see themselves as on the side of right. They are, you know, history will show that they're the good guys. Everybody thinks that in the midst of every conflict. It doesn't matter how strong you feel. It matters who God is, who he's called us to be, and what the reality is. There is such a thing called truth. There is such a thing called reality. And our job is not to insist that it is my way because I feel strongly. Our job is to turn away from ourselves and, and follow Christ. Uh, that's Anyone who wants to claim the name Christian, that is the only way to be. Um, so that's the end. <laughs> Uh, I've covered three resolutions. I hope I've I've made the case that all three are heavily informed by far left liberal uh, thought and not representative of or in the benefit of the the majority of United Methodists. Um, these are just resolutions. They're they're not legislation adopted by the General Conference. However, they've spoken very clearly about what their intentions are. I think they're hostile to people like me, and I I feel threatened. Um, so. Um, Anyway, I think there are a lot of people that might have looked at these things and said, oh, these are well-intentioned. It wants to honor uh, people that are not the same as me, and I I don't want to be a jerk. I don't want to impose myself on other people. I I think a lot of people just don't realize what's behind this. So if you're one of those people, I hope this was helpful to you. If I sound like a conspiracy theorist to you, well, once upon a time I sounded like that. uh, People sounded like that to me, but um, just walk with this. Just, Just watch and listen and see where this is going. And uh, I would love to be wrong, but I don't think I am. So anyway, um, if you found anything worth correcting about what I've said here, write it in the comments. If you think this was helpful, share it with other people. I'm going to call this to a close. Stay tuned. If you follow my channel, I uh, I have another interview that's going to get published next week with uh, a guy from Nigeria. Real interesting conversation. So I hope you enjoyed this, and I hope you you stick with my channel and, and enjoy the other stuff I do. God bless you.